I'm James Robertson. And I'm Jeff Costello. And together, we're trying to fearlessly explore issues that matter. We hope that you enjoy the conversation. So James, we're here. It's the first episode of our podcast. Another two white men talking about politics <laughs> podcast. Um, what the hell are we doing here? Well, first off, I'm gonna I, I, I'm gonna challenge you on just the uh, the two white guy piece. I was scrolling through uh, Apple Podcasts, and it's like everyone's on there, all different colors, women, men. You got it. So uh, I, you know what? <laughs> we're maybe we're late to the party. I think is a better way of putting it. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sh- I'm sure we're late to the yeah party. we're late to the so. party. Uh, I think we're coming together. Um, Somewhat uh, out of an element of frustration, uh, another part uh, curiosity, um, you know, and a, a touch of disappointment. I think that uh, speaks to one out of the whole gambit of uh, Western politics, Western democracy, uh, the change that is occurring uh, within our society, and then really honing down specifically Canadian um center-right political orthodoxy, thought, um, intellectual discussions, some of it we think is lacking. Um, You know, there's also, I think, uh, a little bit of an element in terms of an older paradigm and a younger one trying to emerge. We're just not clear of of what it is. And so, you know, we're going to use this platform for some difficult, in-depth discussions and find a number of people out there uh, with North America and in Canada uh, that can help us explore some of these issues and challenge us in in, uh, looking at different ideas. Uh, Yeah, that's, that's, I think, what we're together for. You? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all that. And I think, uh, you know, I've I've voted... uh, conservative in the past i've also voted Mm -hmm. for the federal liberals and Mm -hmm. uh i did vote for justin trudeau and (laughs) i have mixed feelings about that now in 2021 (laughs) but um but i think the biggest thing is like sometimes i you know i go into the voter box or i think about who i would like to vote for and Mm -hmm. i just wonder why like what am i actually voting for what's uh what's behind the curtain here and and i think that i've become a lot more disenchanted with all of our political leaders of all the parties and i'm wondering more and more are they really offering anything tangible like a worldview like a a kind of cohesive philosophy on the role of government what policies should exist what the what 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 people should expect from their government and what their government should expect from people or is it just a big marketing campaign where they glom on to whatever's popular at the time you look you read the poll numbers and uh and you just follow along with that. I don't. I think it's more the latter, and that really disappoints me. I think we kind of infantilize a lot of the voters, and and we just mm. kind of mm. yep. don't. You know, we glom onto meme. You know, memeing things on Twitter or Instagram, and shy away from having intellectual debates. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why people shy away from those sort of debates. I mean, part of it is I think there's a fear of being wrong in yep. the public eye, or or losing quote unquote a debate. Um, part of it is, you know, there's a big meme culture and, and wanting to, you know, dunk on the other side as opposed to actually produce creative, you know, working across party line kind of creative solutions. 
Um, and part of it is I think people realize that in a world where a 30-second soundbite is a long soundbite, hmm. it just doesn't work. And mm -hmm. that's really sad to me. So we need to hash these ideas out. We need to kind of think about what the underlying philosophies are of, for me, you know, parties on the center right. Because um, I, I just feel completely disenchanted with all of them. Uh, there's mm. glimmers of hope. There's rays of sunshine in a couple places, but I think that it's pretty bleak. And uh, I think that we need to get people thinking about the deeper issues behind our leaders and what they stand for. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think um, an element of our time uh, is also pushing that conversation. It, it definitely pulled back the curtain and showed, um, you know, showed some of the stuff that maybe wasn't that great to see. Uh, the, you know, Martin. Sorry, Gurry. just walk us through that. Walk it. Pull. What? What experience did you have? Because some listeners may not know who you are. Yeah. Well, I mean, one. Um, uh, I've been involved in politics in some form. I've been a political candidate both at the municipal uh, and uh, provincial level. Um, you know, I've gotten to kind of see uh, things in that in that regard. I've also been involved. Um, kind of at the grassroots um, level in t regards to f uh, federal politics. Um, I think, you know, when I speak, though, to, to you know, the issues of time COVID, uh, what I've, one thing I've, I think I've seen is uh, an element of impotence from our uh, political leaders. And there's generally, I think, uh, a fair bit of I think people would agree that unpreparedness uh, for Canada, we're right now in the, the throes of um, trying to source a vaccine, trying to produce a vaccine. And, and we're kind of, as a country right now, falling on our face. It's not it's not a great thing. We've, uh, as a country in uh, most uh, provinces, failed to protect our most vulnerable, which uh, in most parts was our elderly. Um, and... Uh, through that, we've also had some large social movements uh, as well. Um, you know, there, there's, we can, you know, within that, I guess, maybe New York Minute or whatnot, um, uh, social media, vicious and fast cycle. There's been so many things that sometimes you, you're gone, you're, you're shocked to think, you know, as we, approach or just pass surpass the one year mark of COVID. Like did all those things just happen this year? Did this really like <laughs> all those things, but there were so many things that did happen. And it's really hard to keep track of it. Um, and, I mean, it'd and, be great if we had like a budget that would help us keep track of it. Right. Oh goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, it would be and, nice if our federal leaders would, would, you know, deem us worthy of understanding what the financials were. Oh, country. I know. Just, just brutal. Sorry and, you to know, cut in there. Just no, no, that that's today. and please and please cut in more. That's, uh, you know, that's just because uh, my my mind's scrambling with all the things. At the same time, with that, Jeff, one thing that I find um, is remarkable, and it started occurring uh, in the states. Um, you know, it, Donald Trump. Uh, I don't want to say it was a catalyst. He probably uh, was just a a. Um, a stick of dynamite in a in a system and when i say in a system i talk i'm talking kind of the republican uh center right element within the states that just kind of blew up things and blew up um uh, challenged 
ideas there and not and i'm not saying he challenged ideas there um i think it showed a lot of ugliness and a lot of rot within the system and you had people that had some really broad started you almost have this element within the center right going okay this is you know is this what conservative is you know what what are we meant to conserve here and hey you know should we be a voice uh, for the working class, for the working class, instead of maybe an elite rich class, you know, that's just providing tax cuts. And then there's the libertarian element that's like less government, less government, get away, you know, nothing's like less taxes, all that. And you know, through that, that's also starting to occur in Canada in the Canadian conservative element. Um, there is a bit of a. Uh, I guess an in-depth look, you know, you, you have it with um, a reshuffling uh, of priorities, a reshuffling you're, 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 of priorities. Yeah. Yeah. You have like a, you have almost a, a question about like what is conservatives in Canada? And that's what I like. I, that's why I actually I'm, I'm really interested in this moment. You know, uh, opposition leader, uh, Mr. Aaron O'Toole has, um, uh, pushed out a couple of things in there and it, it come up with like a working class, private labor, all that uh, kind of narratives. And I think that's a surprise to uh, a number of conservatives, right? And it's how, you know, how do we fit into this? And also the environmental uh, component and climate change. There is uh, a number of conservatives and I'd say young conservatives that are getting frustrated with the party and want yeah. something better. You know, and I, mean, I think I that's... Think I think yeah. that I think the one of the big dynamics on the right hand side of the political spectrum is the big divide between the age gap between the older people and the younger people because the let's be honest if you're over fifty um, over fifty over sixty this year uh, the economy worked out really really well for you yep. and there's a you know and, and everybody has blinders on we all see our own problems as the biggest ones in the world. And we all see our own successes as the greatest ones, you know, overcoming all odds. We all kind of have those delusions of grandeur. But I think that uh, there's a real kind of disconnect between the age groups on the right-hand side of the spectrum. The, uh, the the people at the top think the trickle-down worked great. And, you know, by cutting taxes, we're really kind of encouraging job growth. And look how everything worked out for us. And if you just keep, you know, not drinking $3, $5 lattes, you'll be a billionaire too. Yeah. You know, yeah. I could be Jeff Bezos if I just stopped having a Starbucks every day. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think the people on the younger end of the spectrum recognize that that's just not the case, right? Yeah. And they want ways to feel uh, empowered to build businesses and to kind of like grow their family and to kind of find meaning in society and work. And that means that the government may have to kind of step in and help them. At the same time, they have a feeling, and this is why they end up in the conservative camp, they don't like the idea of the government kind of dictating their the terms of their life to them. They want to be yeah. able to find those, that meaning themselves, but they don't want to be stuck digging ditches uh, in, into their 50s on the hope that eventually the system's going to work out for them, because I yeah. don't think it will as it currently stands. That's a frustration on my end, obviously. Yeah, and... Um... I think you nailed it. Like you look at the cost of housing now, especially in the major urban cities, um, which supposedly is where 
a lot of the jobs are. Um, it, it's and it's where it's, the votes are, and it's where the votes are. It, um, it's not a good situation. It's not a good situation for um, young Canadians, young Canadians that want to um, have families. Like I don't really think uh, things are going in the right direction for family formation. Um, and I think statistically that is proven. I think, you know, we have a birth rate now of like 1.6, 1.7. That's not a healthy number. That means population and decline. That means a population that has to rely on immigration. And uh, you and I live in, you know, I, I'm pro-immigration. Uh, but both you, and I've, you and I have had this discussion and, and here's the challenge. Lots. More, yeah, lots more immigration. But here's the challenge. In urban areas, um, I can speak for like the, you know, metro area of Vancouver. There is a lot of nimbyism. There is a lot of fight against development. So we're always behind in terms of providing housing, you know, for the numbers we need uh, and where supposedly the jobs are. So it continues to see the prices go up and up um, and make it more and more unattainable. It's great if you were in the housing market 10, 20 years ago. Um, but beyond that, for people that are trying to get in, uh, I don't think it's a great, uh, and, it's a great story. You know, and housing is such a great example of this disconnect because the, the traditional conservatives, if you think about back to the Reaganism kind of like, uh, that, that sort of kind of super free market trickle down conservatives would say, you got to slash regulation. You got to let the free market just do its thing and, and build, buildings and you know and, and build businesses mm. and invent things and and do exports whatever they want to do let them do it and that's great and then you turn around and say also oh, we're going to build this uh six uh four story building neck in your in your neighborhood and they're like no 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 not like that <laughs> not like not free market like that just free yeah. market over there, there on the outskirts of town where it doesn't <laughs> fall into my view right yeah. and and so it's this fast i mean it really is kind of a fascinating kind of demographic of people who will vote very, very conservative in provincial and mm -hmm. uh, federal elections and simultaneously block to let the free market actually build buildings. It's like, I, 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 it makes me laugh and it's a sad laugh, but, uh, but yeah, well, it's and I, and I've I think they're losing ground on it. I do think that, that it's starting yeah. to become apparent that something has to be done. And honestly, I think it's a great opportunity for right-leaning parties to make an impact and to actually have put a policy forward that aligns with some of their values and urban voters can can get into. So if you could see federal and provincial uh, governments saying, we need to build more houses. Here's the minimum number of new units you need to build per year in order yeah. to qualify for yeah. funding, grants, you know, transfer payments, whatever it is. You can you can justify that by by saying, we can't. We got to cut red tape. We got to cut red tape, which is what we hear all the time yeah. from right wing parties. And then, if you actually do it, you actually help solve housing affordability on all levels. And I know that there's also a subset of people in in the Vancouver area who oppose market housing because they think it's all going to go to billionaires and you know super expensive yeah. housing. And that brings me to Tot the, the one point there, Jeff. Is I don't think any political party uh, and any uh, side of the political spectrum right now. Um, are have got this issue nailed i think they're all pretty far from it um you know because it, 
uh, NIMBYism, um, opposing like housing in, in, you know, someone's backyard or anything, uh, and playing on fear is a great way to get elected and to kind of come with something of saying, we're going to put this large building or we're going to put this development there, you know, it, it's not attractive to voters. It's a hard thing. Um, it's, it, it is quite hard to do. And, um, like, cause I've been there, uh, so, it, you know, like the cynical me thinks like we're never going to get there. Um, the optimist in me says there's a lot of room, uh, especially for a center-right party to play in there and bring some solutions in. And I think I think that in a lot of these situations, and housing is one of them, I don't want to just focus on housing because this is just our first podcast. We don't want to get too in the weeds with it. But yeah. I think that there's a there's a point where the rubber hits the road. And I do think that people understand in Greater Vancouver, Greater Toronto, that housing supply is an mm-hmm. issue. And even the older generation yeah. do have an understanding of like, gosh, we really got to, you know, build more houses for, you know, for younger people to find a, a place in, just not near me. Um, and I think that eventually they're going to have to come around to that. It's going to take some creativity, but it's also going to take some muscle from provincial government, federal government municipalities who actually say sorry guys we're gonna we're gonna have to build a building somewhere uh you're each gonna have to take turns we're gonna rotate through it like whatever they whatever they come up with as a way to kind of make it fair it's gonna it's gonna have to happen um or else you're gonna get massive drain brain drain out of these cities and you're just gonna carve and hollow out you know greater Vancouver. and Um, i mean in, in some regards you know uh maybe the the uh pandemic um, has provided a lot of young Canadians um, some hope in the in terms of the ability to work from anywhere. Um, you know, uh, with the whole new cloud-based work from home environment that the pandemic has pushed on us. You know, maybe you'll see, um, you know, more people being able to live on the outskirts in the burbs. Occasionally, have to commute into Vancouver or, or, or sorry, into any major downtown, uh, urban area, but in the same time, um, you know, like a, like not have the huge time costs, uh, of, of commuting, um, also providing, you know, uh, more time with family or less childcare costs cause you're, yeah. you're on the road or so much. So there is like, will it be a huge dramatic shift? Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not certain about that, but I think there should be a significant number of people and companies now, um, that will start to look at the work from home and that will, that will also change or challenge, um, our political leaders, political parties to come, you know, in terms of policy development, this is, this is another fluid thing. Um, they're going to have to try to get their heads around, uh, maybe not this year, but, uh, in, in the years ahead for sure. Well, I know another kind of changing topics a bit, but that's a good segue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of governments taking a year or two to get their head around things, I think the other thing that we have to realize is uh, governments are really struggling in the last eight, five years to keep up with the changing pace of technology. So if that's work mm-hmm. from home, that's one thing. But, um, you know, so-called disruptor technologies like Uber or the food delivery apps, or uh, Airbnb come on the scene and take over right away. And and it takes years sometimes for governments to wrap their heads around what should we do about this? How do we deal with it? And, and 
by that point, it can be so ingrained in people's personal lives that it's really hard to start taking it away or doing things. I know you have a lot of concerns about the the kind of surveillance state and kind of all sorts of the privacy issues related to that. But I think it's also a practical thing. If you look at how badly uh, Vancouver City Council and the province, well, not Vancouver City Council, I think it's more on the province, both the BC Liberals and the BC NDP handled Uber. I think we were, what, seven years behind, you know, (laughs) other places because it was just like a, it was just a political hot potato that nobody wanted to deal with because specific ridings kind of had a vested interest in keeping that business out. But you, as a political, you know, it's funny, everybody's happy to, to jump on the latest photo shoot, you know, or, or hop on Twitter with a hot take or jump on with uh, AOC and, and play video games if it's if it's like the cool thing to do but when it actually comes to making a tough decision even if it's an obvious decision that's tough it just you know that one side is going to have some upset voters on it they can't do it it takes them years and they got to do studies and they got to do evaluations and they want to pass the buck and i think that's unacceptable too i mean i've written about this before uh in some places and uh we suffer from a massive dearth of leadership in canada and across the world oh man People willing to, you know, I had, a, I had a great quote from a professor who I, when I went to, you know, UBC, who was talking about the university administration at the time. And he said, uh, he said, I don't know why we, it's like you get a job as a boss and, and suddenly we're expected to call you leadership. And he's like, leadership isn't something that you get because of a title. It's something that, it's, a, it's an impact you have on people that people yep. want to follow you in a direction that you're guiding them towards. Our our current leadership, quote unquote, are you know people who are reading the polls figuring out what direction people are moving and then scrambling to keep up with them and that isn't leadership that's that's bandwagoning that's that's not kind yeah of good things are, i think that yeah i think that if political leaders could get their heads out of their ass and kind of put some real <laughs> ideas forward i think voters would actually react positively to that they wouldn't be so kind of like shocked that uh, that that would turn them off. They want ideas. They want somebody who's actually putting forward solutions, not just passing the buck. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think um, a, a a great read, uh, and you don't have to read his book. You can you can look online. There's a number of things. Martin Gurry, uh, the the revolt of the public. It, I think it really marks. Uh, a lot of what's in our time. Um, sh- you know, the, the, the power the public has now with social media uh, t- to really see uh, the either the incompetence, the inability, or just the BS uh, that p- political leaders have. And then at the same time, a lot of politicians still thinking that they have some veil, that they still, you know, through a, a bunch of... Um, public relations, communications experts and all that can show the public a certain thing that they want us to see. And, and there's a, a marked difference between between the person behind the computer screen or their phone to that politician on the other side. And the gap's been, it has been closed. And so we can see all the ugliness, you know, there, there, there is no more Camelot really like you, you, you know, you can, you can see everything in the politician and some of them that are pretty good out there show us 
uh, generally everything. The, the unfortunate thing though, is what he points out, um, is a lot of the public still expect dreams and promises that are sometimes unrealistic and they're not willing to meet some of the political leaders, um, halfway. So we, we and still part have... of that stems from political leaders not being honest with, with their oh. voters. It's yeah. promise, promise, promise. You know, we'll get we'll dole cash for this and cash for that yeah. without an, without an explanation of where that cash is from coming from down the road or long-term thinking. And I'm, you know, I think I'm, this is where I, maybe I'm a different type of conservative. I don't mind the government throwing cash at things. I have no problem with that, but it's got to be in an, in a thoughtful and meaningful way that will actually help people not just splashing it around to win votes in a riding because you know it's crunch time four months before an election and i really need to get this i really need to get this vaccine plant up and running <laughs> we're a little late but you know if we get it done i can still tell people that we're getting it done so yeah and i think sometimes words matter and so like i get a little tired um of sometimes of how we let um a number of these people within the public uh by saying well they're spinning things um, and no, they're lying. Like there's a lot of lying that goes on and, yeah. uh, you know, you should be calling it out more and, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it just needs to get better. It needs to get better. Um, and you know, you and I will, we'll, we'll test the waters. We'll see how it goes. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come up with some pretty interesting discussions as we go forward. Yeah. And uh, we got some good uh, guests lined up to talk about some of these issues, and we'll hone in on kind of specific issues we want to talk about, whether that's you know small small types of journalism outfits, yep. uh, foreign policy, uh, some kind of more philosophy and history of Canadian politics stuff. We've got some really good guests, I think, uh, laid out, and uh, I'm really looking forward to having more conversations with you and, and getting some feedback from from our listeners. We need to build a website to make sure we actually can get that feedback. But I, it'll, it'll, it's on the to-do list. It's, it'll, it'll, it'll we'll, come. We'll chip away it'll at come. it. <laughs> I'm not right, a politician, Jeff. so I can overpromise and underdeliver. Yeah, underdeliver. <laughs> so okay, on but that we'll, note, we'll, we'll check in next week. Yeah, and, uh, let's, and let's, hopefully, let's cap uh, it off. Uh, kick things off. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much for listening to Unbound. If you enjoyed our conversation, the best way you can help us continue it is to give us a like and a five-star review wherever you get podcasts. It'd go a long way to help us grow our user base and include more and more people in our conversation. See you next time.